So if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to 1 Kings 18 and James chapter 5. Um, I realize that as we've been going through the story of Elijah, we've had to skip over a few things. We skipped over Elijah raising the widow's son. Uh, We skipped over him killing the prophets of Baal. Uh, We've skipped over the whole section about Obadiah. Um, and just know that we're going to look at some of those things in the weeks ahead. We'll go back and, uh, and we'll look backwards as, as we get to some of the chapters ahead. Um, but also, it's a 10-week series, and so we do have to leave some things out. But I might have a time, maybe at Back 40 Brewery or something like that on a Monday night to where you could just come and ask questions about Elijah, um, because I've, I've loved studying this, and I'd love to talk with you about it. Uh, so this morning, this is our third week in studying Elijah. We're looking at 1 Kings 18, James 5 is there in your worship guide. And we'll begin with 1 Kings 18, verse 41. And Elijah said to Ahab, go up and eat and drink for there is a sound of the rushing of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel And he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And he said, go again, seven times. And at the seventh time, he said, behold, a little cloud, like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rains stop you. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. And he gathered up his garment, and he ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Now James chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Our Father, we ask that through your Spirit you would give give us a mind to understand, ears to hear, and a heart to obey the words that we hear from you. May my words fall to the ground and blow away and not be remembered anymore. But Lord, may your words remain and may they change us. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. So James ends his letter uh, with a call for us to pray. And he says, if we want to learn how to pray and, and to pray in power, 
we need to look to the prophet Elijah. He said, if we want to pray with such power that it might even result in the healing of people, then we need to learn the lessons of Elijah, in particular, the lesson of Elijah praying for it to stop raining and for it to start raining. And so that's what we're going to do this morning, because I would love such a prayer life personally and for us as a church. And so I want us to look at Elijah and see what he has to teach us about prayer. Now, there are many notable people, actually, that James could have pointed back to, to teach us about prayer. But for some reason, he chose Elijah. He could have used Abraham. He could have used Moses, two very prayerful people. I mean, Moses was actually described as a man who used to meet with the Lord face to face, like one meets with a friend. But James doesn't go there. Uh, James could have also, he could have used maybe the examples of, of um, Daniel. Daniel, a person who was known for three times every day, getting on his knees and praying, but he doesn't bring up Daniel. He could have chosen David. David literally wrote our book on prayer. He wrote most of the Psalter, but James doesn't go there. Instead, he pulls up Elijah. Why? Why, why point to Elijah as our example for prayer? Well, one of the main reasons is because Elijah was known as a man of action. He was known actually as a man of miracles. Uh, believe it or not, the, the Bible is not crammed full of miracles. Uh, really, you see three main periods in which miracles happen in the Bible. You have Moses and Elijah, or Moses and Joshua, in which there's a lot of miracles happening during that time. You have Jesus and the apostles, a lot of miracles happen in that time. And then the only other time in the Bible you really find a whole lot of miracles is with Elijah and Elisha. Elijah in particular was known for a man who performed mighty miracles. And so for those reasons, he was known as the most powerful prophet in all of Israel's history. So if you want to pray for healing power, if you want to pray for miracles, Elijah is a good person to look to, to learn from. But I actually don't think that's the main reason that James has us looking at Elijah. Yes, he wants to remind us of the incredible power that Elijah had but he makes it a point to point out just how normal Elijah was. Look at verse 17 of James chapter 5. You'll read that he's described as a man with a nature just like ours. That word nature there means substance or of the same emotions. Elijah had the same emotions as we do. He thought like we think. He, he felt like we feel he was not superhuman. He put his pants on one leg at a time. It was actually um, weeks back that when I read this description of Elijah that made me start thinking, I'd like to preach on this at Redeemer. Elijah being a man with a nature just like ours. Because honestly, I struggle believing that. Elijah, when you look at all the miracles he does, he just seems superhuman. But James says that Elijah was a man that we should instinctively get. We should instinctively just understand because he's no different than us. Now, one of the reasons that's hard for us to see right now is because up to this point, 
in Elijah's story, we have only seen his power. But make no mistake, in the weeks ahead, we will also see his weaknesses. We will see his struggles. Did you know that Elijah struggled with loneliness? He struggled with loneliness. Uh, At times, he called out to the Lord. He says, I'm the only one. I'm the only one here. He also struggled with anxiety and fear. Even when he knew the Lord was taking care of him, he struggled with anxiety. There was times that he was angry, times he was filled with compassion, times where he displays arrogance. Other times, he has an incredible humility. In other words, we see clearly he was not superhuman. He wrestled with all the human experiences that we wrestle with. He was a man just like us. Now, if Elijah lived today and had an Instagram account, you wouldn't realize that because he would have only been seen as being very put together, six-pack abs, standing on top of some mountain, looking off in the distance, living the life you wish you had. But the Bible presents very realistic pictures of people and lets us know their struggles, that not everything is roses. And when we look at Elijah, we are to see we're just like him. He's just like us. And so we can relate to him. So I think that's one of the reasons that James uses Elijah. A harder question to answer is why James decides to use this miracle of all the miracles Elijah does. Because there were plenty of other miracles he could have drawn from. Uh, And honestly, the other miracles make more sense at first glance. Um, Every commentary you are going to read, they're going to say, basically, they're scratching their head as to why James pulls out this miracle with the other ones that you could have drawn from. For instance, James could have easily brought up the time he took on the prophets of Baal. Elijah just prays a simple prayer. Boom, fire falls. You see this powerful display. Or maybe more appropriately, you could pull up the time that Elijah prayed for the widow's son who had just died. And he prays and the son comes back to life. Now, if James is trying to teach the church to pray for healing, you can't get a better example than that. Elijah literally prays and raises somebody from the dead. But James doesn't go there. He doesn't use that miracle. Why? Why does he point to a time when Elijah prayed for it to stop raining and for a time when Elijah prayed for it to rain? Well, one of the reasons is this. This was Elijah's first miracle. It was his very first miracle, uh, praying that it would stop raining. And I think James wants us to contemplate that, that Elijah was a man just like us. He's no different than us, yet something brought him to the point where he would pray for something huge. He was an ordinary man, yet something brought him to this point. Something served as a trigger in him, igniting him to make such a bold request before the Lord. And I believe that trigger was the word of God. We see clearly in this story that it was God's word that led Elijah to pray for rain. Back in chapter 18, verse 1, 
God tells Elijah, go to Ahab because I'm going to send the rain. So he has God's word that tells him what he needs to now pray for. But also it was God's word that led him to pray for it to stop raining. But this time it wasn't the audible voice of God. It was actually scripture. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, we read that God told the Israelites as they were moving into the promised land, he said, you obey me, you worship me, I'll send the rains, you will, be, you will have a fruitful harvest. But if you go after other gods, if you worship other gods, I will shut the heavens and I will cause it not to rain. So Elijah knows this. He's read this. He believes God's word to be true, and he prays towards that end. So Elijah's prayer for God to withhold rain, and Elijah's prayer for God to later give rain, both were based on the word of God. This is what allowed him to pray in faith for these things. It wasn't a blind faith. It wasn't a faith that he just had to try to muster up and to conjure up all in himself. He was simply taking God at his word. God, you said this. God, you promised this. And now I'm going to pray it into existence. And believer, that is how we are supposed to pray. Our prayers are to be bathed in scripture. You want a better prayer life? Pray with your Bible open. Open your Bible. Read the scriptures. All the time reading and praying and asking, Spirit of God, teach me what this means. Spirit of God, show me what I'm supposed to do or pray for in light of this truth. We read with our Bibles open, asking God to direct us. That's exactly what Elijah did. James, I believe also, he brings up this story of Elijah because of the type of praying Elijah did. It was a persistent, fervent prayer. James, with that word fervent prayer, literally it's in praying, he prayed. In praying, he prayed, meaning he prayed and he prayed and he prayed and he prayed. Now, when Elijah called for fire to come down from heaven, how did he pray? He just went out there. He said, that they might know you're the living God. And before he even got the words, like, finished, he didn't even get to say amen. Fire fell down immediately. Anyone have that experience in prayer? Anyone? Where you, you make a huge request for a miracle, and before the words are even out of your mouth, God just answers? Rarely, if ever, does that happen. That's not the common Christian experience that we see that happening. But this story is the common experience. This time, Elijah has to, in praying, he prayed, or he has to pray and pray and pray again. Seven times he's praying for rain. Think about it this way. What if the prophets of Baal had still been around? What do you think they would have been doing in this moment? What's wrong, Elijah? Can your God not hear you? Uh, Elijah, perhaps your God's out taking a walk. Uh, perhaps he's out going to the bathroom. 
Or perhaps he's asleep, Elijah, and you just need to call louder and wake him. The prophets of Baal would have been mocking Elijah because God was responding the exact way that Baal had responded to them. Yet Elijah just keeps persisting. This does raise some questions, though, about prayer. Why is it that God did not answer the first time? Why is it that God made Elijah ask him again and again and again? And finally, one stupid question. Perhaps it's a stupid question. Maybe it's a question you've also thought of and you've just been too embarrassed to ask. But what do you think Elijah said to God every time? He had to keep kneeling down to pray. Seriously, think about that. I, I can imagine what his prayer was the first time. He, he kneels down and he's praying. He says, God, you said it. You said you're going to bring the rain, so bring it. Amen. Sends his servant out. Servant goes and checks. Comes back. He's like, um, it's not raining. And Elijah's thinking, huh. And he's, he's staying on his knees. He's, he's praying again and again, as James tells us. And so what do you think he said that second time? Hey, hey, God, just a reminder, you told me it was going to rain. And so I really want you. I've already told Ahab this. I've like come through. Amen. And he sends his servant out and the servant comes back and goes, still no rain. What do you think Elijah prays that third time? I mean, he probably does what you know some of us do. You, you think, okay, I need to add some things. Um, maybe I didn't spend my time in praise. You know, that little, uh, that, that ask you need to ask, you need to uh, seek, you need to knock. So I, I, need to, I need to ask or I need to adore God. I, I need to maybe spend some time in thanksgiving. And so you add all these things and you're like, almighty God, heavenly father who makest everything. Uh, you add some adjectives. You raise your voice and say, now send the rain. And then you go out, send the servant, comes back, still no rain. What do you ask for now? What do you say? I feel like at this point, uh, what happens with a lot of us is we kind of become micromanagers of God. Uh, we start telling us specifically what he needs to do. Um, actually, a lot of times we become like the, the hospital administrators, the doctors, the lab technicians, the biologists. And so if you're praying for somebody's healing in cancer, you know, you start off with that bold prayer, Lord, heal them of cancer. And then he could kind of feel nothing happened. So now it's time to become the microbiologist. And Lord, we just pray against those cancer cells and their structure and then you begin to break down those cells at the cellular level. And then we become the hospital administrator. And we pray that you would get this person to the right doctor. And that you would give this doctor enormous wisdom. And then we become we, the lab technician. And, and we pray that the results, the blood results, would come back um, negative And it would be good news. And then we pray for the medicine. We, well, we ask the chemotherapy would, would do its work. We begin to pray those ends. We kind of micromanage God. Anybody pray like that? Liars. 
I pray like that. We all pray like that. And hear me, I am not knocking that prayer. Pray on, people. Please pray on. But I do want to raise this possibility that sometimes our many words do not indicate faith, but they indicate a lack of faith. Sometimes we hope that we will be heard for our many words. Sometimes we pray, and our prayers more resemble the prophets of Baal than they resemble the prophets to the true God. We feel that if we shout a little bit louder, say the right formula, work ourselves up into a frenzy, then we might get God's attention. What do you think Elijah prayed for? Maybe the fourth or fifth time. Do you think he became a meteorologist? Lord, would you just bring in that cold front to mix with that humid air, causing those water droplets in the air to get heavy and then to come down? And God's thinking, you know what? Thank you, because I, I didn't know what to do. You know, <laughs> I, just, I just needed a little instruction. Uh, do you think that's what Elijah did? Maybe. Maybe. I do think God was teaching something. I know God was teaching Elijah something by having him continually ask and seek and knock. And God is teaching us something as we have to go to him over and over and over again in prayer. I have found that when I go to the Lord with my initial request, and it's not initially answered. I do pray again, and usually I just repeat myself as if God was hard from hearing, hard of hearing, and, and I'll just say, once again, Lord, I, I, I ask this, and maybe I say it with a little more fervency. And then if he doesn't answer, I pray again. After a while, I have found that when I have to keep going back and back, the content of my prayers change. They grow deeper. I begin probing into myself and into God. I, I begin asking deeper questions like, is, is there something in me? Is there, is there some sin in my life you would like to deal with me now? Lord, is there something that I'm missing? Is there something I'm not hearing from you? And then I really begin to press into him. I remind myself of who he is. I begin searching the scriptures, reminding myself of the promises of God, reminding myself of everything God has declared himself to be, and I keep going deeper and deeper into who he is. And that initial request that I came to in, now it's in the rearview mirror, it's just so small. And God has moved me on to deeper things. Perhaps that's what he's doing with Elijah. I don't know. Just using some holy imagination here. What did he keep praying for each time? What was the Lord really teaching him? I do know this. He did not feel the need to keep praying and praying in order to get God to hear from him. He kept praying and praying because he knew God did hear him. And that gave him the confidence to keep going. And as children of God, we have that confidence as well. We just read in, in Hebrews, that's through the blood of Jesus, that we can boldly approach the throne of grace 
No fear of rejection. No fear of not being heard. This is what Elijah does. After the seventh time of Elijah praying, and he's not doing his song and dance. He's not lipping around. It says his head's between his knees. He keeps going, go check, go check, go check. And finally, on that seventh time, he gets the report back that there is the tiniest of clouds. Um, I, I love Hebrew. It's a very visual language. And actually, what you read in Hebrew is there was a cloud the size of a fist, almost like God's coming to punch it. Like he's just coming in the horizon, this, this gradual, small little fist. And Elijah says, that's enough. Uh, just like earlier when it says that he heard the sounds of rain, even though there was not a cloud in the sky, he was hearing by faith. Now when the servant says there's just a little fist of a cloud, he's now seeing by faith. And he says, it's going to happen. Run, tell Ahab, get in his chariot. He needs to leave before the rain overtakes him. And then I love this. <laughs> Elijah, he, he pulls up his robes and he outruns Ahab who's in the chariot. Uh, I love this because uh, I'm 47 years old. My body's breaking down. This gives me hope for the old man. Uh, and you know, Elijah had to love this too. It's like, he's be sure to keep this in there. I outran the chariot at my age, but he gets out there and he outruns Ahab. Now, you know why that detail's in there, don't you? You know why the story has to end with that little detail? Because it's a contrast with the prophets of Baal who when they prayed, they went around limping. Their prayers led them to do nothing but limp and to bleed. Elijah's prayers lead them to run. Run with wings like eagles. He runs and he will not grow weary. And really this is an invitation for us to run in prayer as well. Now, as we move to our time of taking communion together, I want us to be reminded of how it is that we have such confidence that our Heavenly Father hears us. Why do we have such confidence? It's because of this. When Jesus was on the cross and he was crying out, that scene there more resembled the prophets of Baal crying he cried out, and he cried out, and yet he was forsaken. He heard nothing from God. And then he bled. We see that with Jesus there, that Jesus was, was forsaken by his heavenly Father. He cried out and he bled. He never heard God answer. And then we have judgment coming. And judgment this time did not fall on a sacrifice. It fell on Jesus. Now, all of this happened. Jesus was taking our place. Jesus, who should have been treated like the child that he was, and, and his heavenly father answered him and rescued him, he has denied those things because those were given to us. We are now treated like the child. We are no longer judged because that judgment fell on Jesus. And the end result is this. We now get to go to God boldly with no fear of rejection, with not a doubt in our mind that we are not being heard and accepted.
all because of the blood of Jesus. Pray with me, church. Father, we are so thankful for your son, Jesus. Jesus, we are so thankful for your sacrifice. A sacrifice that now enables us to have bold and confident access to our God. And I pray like Elijah, we would run. I pray we would search your scriptures, asking direction for your spirit, and we would ask big things of you, knowing that you hear us. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.